in love with my Savior, and He's in love with me. He is with me from day to day. What a friend is He! Watches over me while I sleep, and He hears me when I pray. I'm as happy as I can be. Now I can say, Somebody loves me, and He answers my prayers. I love somebody. I know. both in my singles group. <laughs> Don't remind me, all right? <laughs> One of them's getting married, if you don't know, and uh, so we won't have them long in the singles group. <clears throat> but nonetheless, nonetheless they are. We're proud of those young people in our church, and they do a great job, and we're so excited that they're serving the Lord Jesus, and songs like that just, boy, that lifts our spirits, don't it? Isn't that just encouraging? Somebody loves me, and he answers my prayers. That's good. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles. Turn to Jude chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to use this as a springboard to get kicked off today. Again, uh, this is kind of our, uh, <clears throat> this is our service for our offering today, and I just want to share a few thoughts <clears throat> this morning. I think about, um, you know, um, we think of a lot of times we talk about giving of ourselves, we talk about giving our time and our talents, and we talk about our treasures as well. And you know what? Giving's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. You give to your children, you give to your, your family, you give to your work, you, you're always giving something to someone, somewhere, somehow. And uh, as we have the opportunity and the privilege to give today, 
to our building fund offering, it's, uh, uh, this just a, it's an opportunity. It's another privilege. And it's just one more means by which we can honor and glorify the Lord. And I just want to share a couple of thoughts with you today. But Jude chapter 1, verse 3, as we consider this thought, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you, ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And we've used this verse uh, over the last couple of months a couple of times. And uh, in this case, I want to use it to kind of kick things off. But let's read it one more time as the apostle shares here. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Boy, we have a faith that was delivered to us, a faith that was handed to us. Um, I could uh, take this particular item here and I could say, well, here it is, this is the faith, and, and the Bible tells us literally it was handed to us, it was given to us. And and literally, the faith was given to us. It was handed to us. And, and that faith hasn't changed. It's the same faith that was given uh, to the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Ghost and, and through Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. And now all of a sudden, he hands it to uh, the, the disciples, and then they've handed it down generation after generation after generation. And that's the faith by which we're contending for. It's the same exact faith that they had in the, 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 the time of Christ when he handed it off to the apostles. It's the same faith that they gave to the next generation and the same faith that was given in the year 200 and 300 and 400 and 500 and all the way through till now we're in the 2000s. And uh, it's the same exact faith. It hasn't changed. It's exactly the same as it was when it was handed down. And we're to contend for that faith. And uh, we're to work hard and diligent to keep it as it is and not to allow it to change. I mean, this is the faith. It's, this is not the faith. This is the faith. This is not the faith. This is the faith. And the problem today is, is that it seems that the devil's working overtime to try to change the faith and say, now let's pass that down. But we don't want to pass down anything but what God passed down to us. We want to make sure that the faith is what we're giving to the next generation. As we consider this project in which we are involved in, this major project, this very, very big project that we're involved in, it's a big project, as we mentioned, but there's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. It's to contend for the faith. It's to ensure that what we hold in our hands ends up in the hands of the next generation. That's what it's really all about. Do you realize that since 1962, when prayer was removed from the schools, as people say, well, here we go again. Yep, here we go again. Do you realize, according to statistics that were taken from the Department of Health and Human Services, from the Disease Center for Disease and Control, statistics abstracted from the U.S. United States Vital Statistics and U.S. Department of Commerce and so forth, Do you realize as you look over those statistics that for 15 years before 1963, pregnancies in girls ages 15 to 19 years had been no more than 15 per thousand? But after 1963, pregnancies increased 187% within the next 15 years? I mean, that's amazing. That's an alarming statistic. For young girls ages 
get this, 10 to 14 years of age, pregnancies since 1963 are up 553%. That's amazing to me. You say, well, it still can't be that many. It's still up 500% or more. Before 1963, sexually transmitted diseases among students were 400 per 100,000. Since 1963, they're up 226% within the first 12 years after that date. Listen, there's something to it. Somebody says, well, I don't think you can just say that it all has to do with it. I agree with you. I don't think that the total decline of America, you can go back and say one decision. But let me tell you something. There's no doubt statistically that when we look at prayer being removed from our schools with the statement basically saying that God's not necessary and needed in our lives any longer, but there's no moral authority, there's no absolute truth any longer that has affected our our generation after generation since that date and may i say it is obvious from statistics that we are on a downward spiral and we are going nowhere good fast considering the family or concerning it before 1963 the divorce rates had been declining for 15 straight years before 1963 after 1963 divorce rates increased 300 percent each year for the next 15 years 300% each year for the next 15 years. Someone says, well, the divorce rate has dropped lately. I would say you are absolutely correct. But then again, people aren't getting married. They're just living together. You can't figure that stat out. Since 1963, unmarried people living together is up 353%. Since 1963, single-parent families are up 140%. Since 1963, single-parent families with children are up 160%. You say, well, that's not a problem, single parents. No, not when you're put there for a reason, but when we are going into the, 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 the relationship saying, I don't want a husband, I don't want a wife, I'll raise kids myself, I don't even need a man, I don't need a woman, I just need myself we got problems where that's becoming the norm in our culture. When the family's being broken down, being destroyed, where we're, pers- per- where we're on purpose saying you don't need one another, you don't need a family. I'm going to tell you something. You talk to any single parent in this room today and you ask them if it doesn't make it however many times tough to raise kids alone, they'll tell you, man, if you can, <laughs> if you can avoid it, at all, at all costs avoid it. It is, there's nothing pleasant about trying to raise children on your own. They wouldn't wish that on anyone. But yet we make it a standard way of living. We just say, well, that's okay. There's no problem with it. There's a problem with it. It's not, it's not as effective for the husband. It's not effective for the wife. It's not as effective for the children. God says that it's important that we do our best to do things God's way. The family. Young people. What about our nation? Since 1963, violent crime has increased 544%. Isn't that amazing? Violent crime, 544%. That's ridiculous. We've got to contend for the faith then, don't we? We take this Bible, we pulled it out of schools, we have taken it out of the workplace, we've taken it out of the public domain, we've said that you don't need God anymore. That's basically what we're saying. And how's, it, how's that working for us? It's not working for us. Someone says well, we're technologically more advanced than ever. We, we've got, you know, we're, we're wiser than we've ever been. We're, well, that's debatable. I mean, honestly, 
Are we really better off? People say, yeah, we've, we've come to some real landmark decisions and now people are accepted in love for who they are and they don't have to live up to anyone's standards. You mean even God's? Yeah, that's really, our culture's much better shaped morally today than it was 50, 60 years ago. No, it's not. We know that's not true. Statistically, it's not true. We keep changing the standard. Now, we've got to contend for the faith because wrapped up in this faith is our way of life. Wrapped up in this faith is, is what America was built on. It was this faith. Hey, listen, the, the founding fathers weren't ashamed to say Jesus Christ in public. And they were allowed to pray in public. What's happened to us? Sadly enough, I'm concerned that maybe we haven't contended for the faith like we ought to. So what does it have to do with this offering we're giving them? Well, as I said before, in its essence, what we're doing is we're trying to continue or contend for the faith. That's what it's all about. When it's all said and done, we look over this crowd today and we, we say, wow, this is a great crowd on a Sunday morning in 2015. And I'd say, yes, indeed it is. But may I say that this crowd isn't indicative of most churches across the country. Churches are dying left and right. And what does that mean? That means Bibles are being closed. That means people are not in church. That means that our culture will change because the mentality and the outlook of people will change. I want a generation to come that has exactly the exact same faith that I was given. I want them to have what I've held in my hands. I want them to have what I've held in my heart. That's not going to happen unless we do something about it. When it's all said and done, when you give to the offering today, or last week when you did, you're going to find a couple of things. I want to give you three basic things. Number one, I want you to understand when you give to the offering today, your giving goes to Christ. It goes to Jesus Christ. And with that said, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We need you now. In these next few minutes, we don't have much longer, Lord, but we do ask that you would speak to us and use us today. Father, we're not here to increase our salaries. We're not here to uh, get better benefits. That's not why I'm up here. Lord, what we're talking about today is giving to something that will help to contend for the faith, to continue providing the opportunity for our young people to have the faith that we were handed. God, help us, Lord, not to give an inch to the devil. Not to allow him to counterfeit and ultimately confuse the next generation. It's happening already. Lord, help us to do our best to preserve it. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So what we find here is that when you give to the offering today, your giving goes to Christ. See, it's really a sacrifice to the Lord Jesus, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your giving's not to the preacher. It's really not even to the church in and, in and of itself, but more so the giving goes to God. And, you know, we lose sight of that sometimes. And listen, there ought to be accountability, and there needs to be, uh, you know, checks and balances in place. And people that give to ministry ought to be able to say, hey, you know, how's that money being spent? And is it being wisely disseminated and distributed? And is it being used for the right purposes? And 
There's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. That, that's fine. But when we're giving, we're really not giving it to the pastor. It, it is, we're not giving it just to the church itself. We're really, really giving it to God. Now, again, if a church is focused on the right things, if it's going in the right direction, and it's fulfilling the purpose and plan that God has for a church, then God is using those finances for the purpose of expanding or going forward in the ministry, contending for the faith. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible says, For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For in Him we live, it says, and move and have our being. Listen, we have nothing without God. And every time we give a dime, a penny to the work of God, it goes to Him. It's His to do with as He pleases. See, giving to the Lord is an eternal investment. You know, if I asked uh, how many of you are saving money for retirement today? And, you know, if you're probably over 40, you're thinking about it if you haven't already started it. You know, you might want to start even a little earlier than that. Let me give you a little advice. But the fact is, is that you've probably started investing for your future. Now, listen, you're not guaranteed a future, mind you. You could save money and you could prepare and ready yourself for the future. And God may say, come home, and you would never spend a dime of that money on earth. But let me tell you one investment that you'll never have to worry about ever missing out on or losing. It's any investment that you make in God, in the work of God. When you give of your effort, your time, your talent, your treasures to God, it always goes to an eternal bank account where the interest is much better than you ever get on earth. And, you know, we, we, we like to see things from a very pers- uh, practical perspective. Well, that's as practical as it gets. Man, I have a bank account or I have a, a, a 401K or an IRA or whatever it might be, and I look at that bottom line and it tells me how much I've invested. It tells me how much interest I've gained. It tells me where I'm at. And I can view that and I can say, man, this is my goal. I want to reach so much money. I want at least $4 million before I retire. So as long as I live to be 150, I'll make it. But the fact is, is that we set goals and we can kind of identify where we're at in that, that process and whether we're being successful, whether we're not. And we really work hard and diligent to provide for our futures, our families. And there's nothing wrong with that. Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. But may I say that when we make investments in God and His house and in the work of God and contending for the faith, we're making an eternal investment that we're going to draw from forever and ever and ever. We don't see things like that too often. We are so narrow-minded, so short-sighted as believers often. All we see is the immediate. Well, if I gave to an offering like that, or if I gave to God or the Lord Jesus Christ, or if I really tithed and gave as I ought to give, then, man, I wouldn't be able to go to Starbucks like I do now. I wouldn't be able to eat the lunches that I eat on a regular basis. I wouldn't be able to go out with my friends all the time. I wouldn't be able to have pizza night that cost me $35 every Friday and watch a movie that cost me 3 I'm just saying we look at things from that perspective and that's all we see. We say, yeah, but I can't, can't make my children sacrifice. I couldn't buy them the $130 shoes. I'd have to actually buy them $80 shoes. And if you're really frugal, you might be able to find them a lot cheaper than that. You say, but they wouldn't like it and they'd be laughed at. It's good character building. Amen. Well, that's right. If you're over 50, you understand that. But if you're below that, you start to go, you're really weird. <laughs> Well, I'm really weird whether or not you're over 50 or under, but nonetheless, we do worry too much about what people think of us, don't we? 
By the way, if you have those really nice shoes, you probably get killed for them anyway. You'd be better off and safer for your children to buy them cheap Kmart shoes until they're old enough to grow into the real ones. And <clears throat> as long as you have shoes, <laughs> who needs them? Let's all move to West Virginia. <clears throat> okay. I shouldn't have said that. I really shouldn't have. I, I, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of all the ladies that are from West Virginia are going, yes, that's true. That's true. And they're holding their feet up now and dangling their toes, and they don't even have them on in the service. <clears throat> Before you come to the altar, please put your shoes back on. <clears throat> all right. So number one, when we give to the offering, we're, we're giving, our giving goes to Christ. When we give to the offering, our giving goes to a cause. We've kind of touched on that very heavily already, but I think about David, you know, David and Goliath, that story. And man, I mean to tell you, when he arrives there with his brothers and the armies there of God, he, he hears the threats and he, he hears the accusations of this blasphemous giant. Man, I mean to tell you, something in David wells up and he can't take it. Oh, he's not really the man that those, those soldiers are. I mean, he's not of the same age that they are. He's not of the same experience that they are. But man, I mean to tell you, there was something inside David that said, man, there is a cause here. There's a reason to shut that big mouth up. And boy, I'm going to tell you something. God used him to do it. He was blaspheming God. He was blaspheming the armies of God. He had nothing good to say about the, the faith that they held and was passed down to them. And David finally approaches Goliath. And we read over there in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45 and 46. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 2,000 years ago, the faith was handed down, and now we hold it today in our hands. And may I say that a big part of that faith is the fact that the world needs to know there is a God in America, and there is a God in our community, and there is a God in our churches, and there is a God in our homes, and there is a God in our heart. And they need to know that. They need to know that. And I may, and I may uh, uh, be uh, so blunt to say that the giants of humanism, the giants of, of, of apathy have risen their ugly heads in America, and even the children of God have run behind every rock and crevice they can in fear of the giants. But God help us to raise up a generation. God help us to raise up some men and women who will say, Is there not a cause? Say, we're going to maintain and ensure that this faith that we were handed will continue down through the ages, that the next generation can come to a service like this and hear the preaching of God's Word and use a King James Bible and hear the old songs of Zion and proclaim the truth out in the highways and hedges. Your giving goes to a cause. As much as we desire peace and as much as we despise war, We can't simply stand by as Satan diminishes the faith and ultimately seeks to destroy it. David saw a cause. <laughs> he understood that if victory over the enemy was not realized, 
that they as a people would be taken captive, that they would ultimately be required to serve a godless king who would remove their God and their way of life from them. He was determined to give his life if necessary to preserve their freedom and their way of life as well as to ensure that his God was glorified throughout all the earth. It cost something to pass this down. It cost something. Not just finances, it costs something. It takes sacrifice. It doesn't come cheap. I've had the privilege of raising my children in what I would consider a church that I'd want them to have one day. What I mean by that is I want them to have this kind of church. I want my grandchildren to know what it is to pick up a kid on a bus route, bring them to church and see them, their eyes light up and their face light up as they laugh at some of the crazy skits and as they have a good time hearing the gospel and then to watch their heart melt as they're given opportunity to accept Christ. I want them to have that. I want them to know what it is to knock on a door in a free America and be able to give the gospel and watch someone literally with tears in their eyes accept and receive the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want them to know victory in their Christian life. And I want them to be in a church that's not dying but thriving. That costs something. A great deal. So much that it could have cost David his life. Number three, finally, not only when we give to the offering does our giving go to Christ, it goes to a cause, but finally, it goes to children in the next generation. Again, every, every generation has sought to leave a legacy of hope for the next. Our forefathers, they willingly suffered in order to provide us a nation that would ultimately protect and preserve the liberties and justice that we now hold dear. They sacrificially gave themselves, did they not? They gave of their possessions. They gave of their person to protect and promote their ideals. There were 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. They made a pledge. They said for the support, they signed a pledge stating for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They made this pledge to one another. They said, with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence. I wonder who that was. It might have been God, the same one that we now hold in our hearts and hands. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You know, it would be easy. Let's just be honest. It's, it's funny how this is. When somebody has a lot of money, everybody that doesn't have money says, that'd be easy for them to give. They got all that money. What's a few measly thousand? What's a few hundred thousand? What's a million to them? But then on the other hand, we'll say things like, well, yeah, that was no big deal. I mean, they're pledging their, 
their, themselves, their, their possessions and so forth. Big deal. They had nothing in those days. They are broke. That was no sacrifice. You know, we always want it both ways. But wait a second. They did give something up. These who signed the Declaration of Independence, interestingly enough, they, they weren't just normal run-of-the-mill guys and gals. I mean, these were pretty important people, pretty influential people. There were 24 of them were lawyers and jurists. Eleven were merchants. Nine of them were farmers and large plantation owners. I mean, they had things to lose. They, had, they were men of means. They were well-educated. They, 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 were, they weren't just the run-of-the-mill guy. They didn't just work for a cobbler at the corner usually. I mean, they, they had businesses and they had, they had things, possessions. And they pledged them all. They were willing to give them all up. And in many cases, they did. The cost, the price for liberty, the price for freedom. And when we talk about liberty and freedom, I understand in their case it went much deeper than just the present as well because they saw or foresaw the need for liberty to continue to function as believers even. But you know what? When it's all said and done, whether America exists or doesn't exist, this must continue. See, the gospel is much bigger than America. The gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God and the faith which we hold in our hand today is bigger than any one nation or all nations put together. This is what must continue more than anything else. These men were willing to give their lives for a nation. We, are, we must be willing to give our lives and possessions for eternity. For the gospel's sake. You can't outgive God, and neither can I. And you say, I've heard this song and dance a million times. You sure have. But you can't, no matter how many times you hear it, I want you to know it's still true. Amen. Luke 6, 38 says, Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Second Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. But... This I say, which he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, but, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And he ultimately goes on to say, and every man purposeth as he, uh, accor- excuse me, and every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You don't have to give to this offering. I'm, that's between you and the Lord. You ought to have been praying, I trust, and we've been asking you to beg God to show you what you should do. You, you, you may not be able to give as much as someone else, but you may be able to give more than others. You may, be able to, you may think you can't give this, but God will say you can do this. And it may be more than you thought. It may be less. I don't know. But what I do know is, is if we are obedient today with what God's given to us, what we hold in our hands, then God will enable us to take what we do have and pass it down to the next generation. <clears throat> you can't outgive God, and neither can I. And, and I, 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 wanted, I was, I was going to have a song played that I, I, it touches my heart every time. It, it, it's kind of like, it's, God's been good in my life. I've been blessed. See, I don't even know it. Isn't that a great song? God's been good. I don't know if you've heard it. Some of you heard I hope you, you listen to it from time to time. But it's a good song. God's been good in my life. And I think about what God's given me in my life. 
And the other day, one of our young ladies sang that song at the talent contest. And as she sang it, my heart welled up and my eyes filled with tears. Why? Because I couldn't help but think of how good God's been to me. And someone says, well, I just, I'm not big on giving because I'm so concerned that I'll never really get it back. You may not say it that way, but that's in a sense what we think. I can't afford it. I can't do it. I can't afford not to. God's been so good to me. Think about life itself. What do you have without life? Who gave you life? God did. He's been pretty good then. So, well, you don't understand how much I give every week to this church. You don't know how much money I've... You don't know how many cars I could have bought over and over again. You don't know how many homes I could have bought over the last 10 years if I had just added up my giving. I could have done that. Well, I understand that. There's some that give tremendous amounts of money here. I know that. But let me tell you something. I don't know if they're giving that much. Maybe a few. But the fact is, is this. You hand out, give God. Let God take this health away from you. You'd give any amount of money you could to get rid of that cancer in your body. You'd give any amount of money you could if you end up with some kind of disease that hinders and hampers you from going in and out or being able to eat food like you used to eat and enjoy fellowship like you used to enjoy. There's no money in the world more important than this health we've got. <clears throat> By the way, that's why I don't believe in healers. One reason I don't believe in healers. Let me tell you something. There wouldn't be a healer in the world that would ever ask to ask for a dime if they could really could be used of God to heal people. Because there would be people waiting in line to be healed if it really worked that way. It doesn't work that way. Not in this dispensation, not in which we live. One day in tribulation will come back again just like it was in Jesus' day. But God can supernaturally, divinely heal you. He can do that. He doesn't need to use me to do that anymore. He'd do it himself. <clears throat> but you have life. What about your family? Is that a value to you? It says, well, okay, okay. How much money, how much money is your marriage worth to you? Anybody, anybody that's ever gone through a divorce knows it is gut-wrenching. It, there's no, you, you can't fathom the hurt, the heartache, the difficulty, the struggle, the, the hardship that it creates. Money? Are you kidding me? If, if you have a marriage today that you sit in and you say, well, it may not be perfect, but i got to admit, God's meeting needs there in that life. God's providing for me. God's protecting me. God's using us. We're going forward in life together. How much is that worth to us? Someone says, that's not what, when I give, that's, wait a second. Those are blessings from God. <clears throat> How about your friends? What about those wonderful good memories you've got? Have you ever sat back and thought to yourself this thought? If I died today, I've had a great life. You ever thought that? If I, if I died today, I've had a great life. Well, what's that worth? I, I wonder if some of those movie stars can say that. I wonder if some of these people that have millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars can say that. I mean, they're, they're in psych wards, they're taking medication for depression, they're dealing with problems all the time, suicidal, everything, their children are all messed up on drugs and alcohol, they're losing their minds. How much is it worth to have peace of mind and to say, man, if I died today, God's been good. He's given me more than I ever dreamed and ever, ever deserved. What about just eternal life alone? 
to know if you do close your eyes in death, you're on your way to heaven. What's that worth? But you say, oh, so you mean if I give that building fund, I get all that stuff? I'm saying that it's a direct result of obedience to God. I'm telling you, there's no better life in this world than the Christian life. Go ahead, live your life in the world. Go ahead and try to please your needs and have, enjoy pleasures that are for, forbidden in the Word of God. Listen, oh, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but let me tell you something. There's also consequences. It costs something. God's so good to us. And you know what is the basis and the real emphasis of that goodness? Found right in that that faith that was handed down to us. Anybody that's honest will say, the best times in my life were when I was closest to Him. Those were the best times in my life when I was closest to Him, when my family was closest to Him. Oh, I'm not saying you didn't have some troubles. I'm just saying those were the times that we cherished. Those are the ones we look back on. How many times have I talked to teenagers through the years that have grown into adulthood, and what they want to do the moment you meet them? Talk about the old days. You want to know why? Those are the best times in many of their lives. So what's going on in your life now? Eh. Eh. I'm, not, I'm all for reminiscing. I, I was thinking about that the other day at this Tamed Talent Contest. I was thinking about some of the groups we took down, some of, the, some of the tremendous victories we've had in the past. But let me tell you something. We had some tremendous victories this week too. We're not living in the past. We're living today. This is what has brought that about. This is it. The faith. And it was handed down to us. Now it's our responsibility and obligation to hand it down to the next generation. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people in this city that are still lost. And honestly, I don't believe we're going to reach them in this building. I don't believe it. Because I think God's already made it clear that's where we belong. I'm confident of that. I don't know if you are, but I am. You know what? Our giving goes to something far greater than us. It goes to Christ. It goes to something far bigger than us. It goes to a cause. It ultimately goes to our children in the next generation. Because that's what this is about. There's some older people in our crowd today. Most faithful givers you'd ever, ever, ever find in your life. If, if, now listen, and I'm not trying to be a bearer of, but in their hearts they know, I don't know how long I'll have in that building once we get in. So what do you do? They just don't give? You'd find they're the ones that give more faithful than anyone. You know why? They've learned that there's more to life than just living today. There's another generation coming up behind us. And they need this. Because if they don't get the faith that was handed to us, all they're going to get is what the world has every day of their life. Chaos and confusion. God help us to be concerned about the next generation. God help us to give understanding that there's more to it than just today. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for just the privilege that we've had to be here.